my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's the rich man's blood. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. Please note, the opinions expressed on this show are of the individuals who speak them, and not necessarily of Portsmouth Community Radio, its members, or board of trustees. Well, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Barry James Dyke, and we're here in WSCA in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and I'm here with my handsome engineer, Phil Kleiger, That's and uh, Will Pierce, my my sidekick, and we have a great uh, guest on today, uh, and, and Will Pierce is able to dig him up, Dan Walters from Cal Matters. We're going to talk about the California pensions. First of all, thanks so much for having a having a being. Yeah, welcome. I, uh, Portsmouth is a beautiful city. I've been there. Oh, it is. It, it is. Now, where about you in California? You're about by Sacramento, Dan? Or I'm, I'm trying. In Sacramento, yes. Okay, so, well, thank you so much for, you know, so, Dan, we want to talk about California pensions today, but you, you know, California is always a harbinger of things that come. So, but first of all, could you just tell our audience a little about your background, how long you've been covering this beat, how long you've been a journalist, and so on, So, just to make you credible? Well, I've been a journalist for uh, 58 years, and uh, most of those years, except for a few working for California newspapers, and for the last uh, 30 37 years, I guess, almost 38 years, I have written a column about California politics uh, uh, from four to six times a week, depending on my employer at the time, for two different newspapers and now for calmatters.org, which is a uh, nonprofit journalistic site. About 9,000 columns so far about California and its politics. Wow. Now, now, how did you get involved? And, in, you know, because um, we, we like people to speak the truth on this, is that uh, how did you get involved in the the Calpers and the Calsters pension funding problem? Because as you know, the the two of the I think I know Calpers is the largest uh, public pension fund in the, in the country, and and Calsters has got to be right in that neighborhood. How did you get involved? I think in, Calsters is uh, maybe third or fourth largest. Yeah. So so how did you get involved in reporting on on the? Uh, well, it's uh, I write about politics and public policy, and obviously uh, that includes the. Uh, public employer uh, pensions and the systems that provide those pensions. So I've written a lot about both CalPERS and uh, CalSTRS, mostly about the former, and about pensions in general, because not all public employee pensions in California come from those two entities. There's another separate system for the University of California. There's another separate system for legislators, a very small system, since they don't really qualify for pensions anymore. And then a lot of the larger cities and counties uh, in California, have their own independent pension systems uh, separate from CalPERS. So it's uh, you almost have to look at the whole thing and the whole entity of California, and not just CalPERS or not just CalSTRS. Yeah, yeah. So, so no, I agree with you. But the thing is, that one of the major things, and again, California kind of leads the way because of the, the huge pensions. Um, they have a funding problem. Can you explain to the to our listeners what the funding problem actually is? Well, like a lot of pension systems are across the nation, and some of them are much worse shaped than California's. California's pension systems generally, and CalPERS particularly, and, and CalSTRS particularly, have a, a very, rather large unfunded liabilities. In other words, they don't have enough assets uh, in hand 
or projected to have in hand to cover all of the pension promises that have been made over the years. So they have this gap. Some people would consider it to be a debt. Uh, for accounting purposes, it's very often regarded as a debt. But it's the unfunded liability. Now, in the case of CalPERS, it's about 70% funded, which means it has about a 30% unfunded uh, liability. Uh, and, uh, and very similar for CalSTRS as well. So what's been going on, uh, and both of those funds lost uh, tremendous amounts of money during the Great Recession. In CalPERS case, about $100 billion uh, of losses. So to make up for those losses and to uh, also pay rising pension costs uh, for, as baby boomers retire out of the workforce and so forth, and as pension benefits went, were increased about uh, 19 years ago in California pretty dramatically, uh, to pay for all of that and to close the deficit, both systems have been raising the mandatory contributions from the public employers, such as the state, for one, school districts, for number two, and cities and counties and special districts, number three. There are thousands of public employers in California, I think about four or 5,000 all told, and most of them pay for their employee pensions through these, these two systems. So uh, they've been raising these, these mandatory contributions. In other words, they've been stocking at the taxpayers, I guess is the other way to look at it, yeah. uh, pretty strongly in recent years to try to make it. And that ca is causing some pain at the local level and some kickback at the local level. And so that's about where, that's that situation. And the question on everyone's mind is what's going to be done about it in the longer run. Is it, is, is it, are they just going to continue to increase contributions, or will something else interfere? Everybody right now is watching a couple of uh, legal cases that are before the state Supreme Court to determine whether, in fact, uh, public employers in California can reduce public pension benefits going forward, not for current retirees or what they've earned, but could they reduce pension benefits for future work? Yeah. And that, and depending on what happens, what the Supreme Court says, that might be the next frontier in the pension battle in California. Now, I have a, now the thing is people don't realize the cost, um, because most of, if you're in the private sector now, Dan, um, I, don't, I think only about 6 or 7% of the private sector, in other words, work for a private employer has a pension now. Um, but the, the costs are very, are very expensive. I guess uh, I think I was reading it from you or your resource or Pew. I can't remember roughly the cost of for every dollar like a policeman makes right now. It's like 50 cents in the dollar has to go to. Yeah, on average, uh, employers of, of police uh, under the we have several tiers now. They did a pension reform a few years ago in which you have multiple tiers of now pension. But under the, but in, in, in aggregate, cities generally uh, and counties are paying 50 cents into the pension fund for every dollar of salaries paid to policemen and about 40, 45 cents for every salary dollar for firefighters. Uh, they are considered. They, they are both of those are in what uh, what's called in California the safety systems. Okay, they have the highest benefits uh, and obviously the highest costs as well. There are many tiers of, of pension programs in California, but the high at the highest level that's that that's are the policemen and the firemen and the other people in the pension system like you know game wardens and prison guards and 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 so forth. 
And yes, and that's going up. Uh, the anticipation is that the cost on police uh, pensions will increase to at least 75 cents on the dollar, and it could go higher. Uh, and, and nobody knows how high it could possibly go. It could even get up to a dollar to a dollar. And, and the most, some of the most extreme circumstances, if you get another recession or whatnot, you could go up to a $1 for each dollar. So that's just incredible. So in other words, theoretically, so if I, let's just say for a policeman who makes a, a dollar, let's say, of wages, roughly they have to contribute. Now, that's just that's just the um, the pension cost. That, that doesn't include the health and welfare costs, which are like the retiree health care. No, am I correct? And there are big unfunded liabilities on health and well on the on health care costs as well. Uh, that uh, so that, that doesn't count those. There are unfunded liabilities for those. That's just for pensions. That's just, that's just that's for just pensions. Pension so costs. so the pensions. So so theoretically, I'm just you know where this can go. Who knows? But. Um, um, but so, if a person was making, say, a dollar in wages, that their pension contribution could be another buck. So, but then we throw in the health care, which is actually probably a bigger, actually, liability uh, because we don't know what those uh, figures are. Whereas with pensions, you can actuarially somehow, you know, calculate that stuff, uh, Dan. Um, so, so theoretically, you could be for every dollar a, a public employee is making, they're actually. The, the the town or the state or whatever the government entity could be actually shelling out roughly a, a buck and a half or a dollar seventy five just in well probably not that much probably more maybe as much as a dollar now only for those in the highest tier like policemen and firemen however other public employees that aren't in that safety system the the bite is much less uh, than that it might be thirty cents or twenty five cents or something like that not fifty cents. So there is a definite difference between uh, the policemen and firemen and everybody else in, in terms of pension costs. But so, but as these increases, but who who has to pay for this, um, uh, Dan? I mean, is it coming to the state income tax? Well, the taxpayers pay for it uh, eventually, and and no matter how you slice it and dice it, eventually it comes out of the tax tax dollar, and it means either higher taxes or lower services for other uh, other things to pay for these pension costs. And a lot of the cities are saying that going to, some of the cities are complaining it's going to drive them into bankruptcy in California. We've had three cities go into bankruptcy in California in the last decade or so, and high pension costs figured in all of those. Uh, they weren't the sole cause, but they figured yeah. in all of those bankruptcies. And that was before the big bite came. The bite is much bigger now than it was when those cities went into bankruptcy. And yeah. so uh, it, everybody is calling it basically unsustainable, but it goes on until somebody, until the law changes. Because we have a, a, I don't know if it's a unique law in California, but I don't know that very many other entities have it. We have a thing called the California Rule. Yeah, what is the California the Rule? The California Rule, the presumed California Rule, because that's what's under review right now in the state Supreme Court. Under the California rule, once you're in a pension system that carries a certain level of benefits, those benefits can never be decreased at all, ever. So you go into the system, and the first day you go into the system, you're guaranteed those pension benefits based on how long you work, but the level of the benefits, whatever it is, the percentage of your salary that you're going to get as pension is guaranteed forever. And this, these lawsuits challenge that 
rule saying, no, that's not correct law, but even though it's been basically the operational law in California for the last 60 years, that that's not really correct, and the Supreme Court's going to decide whether, in fact, that so-called California rule prevails. Other states, most other states don't have that rule. Most other states, you could go in and change a pension system going forward. You could say, well, you've earned so much pension up to this point, but going forward, we can't afford to pay that, therefore we're going to have a lower pension for the future. That's very common in private employment. Yep. And in fact, employers can even just completely cut off pensions altogether if they want to in private employment. But public employment has a special set of rules, at least in California, and uh, those pension benefits under current law cannot be abrogated unless you go into bankruptcy. And a bankruptcy judge ruled in one of those California cases that you could abrogate uh, pension benefits in bankruptcy. Now, the cities didn't do it. The cities were in bankruptcy, didn't, didn't take that path. But he said that would be legally possible because federal law trumps state law, and bankruptcy law is federal law, not state law. Okay, okay. Cause, because three uh, towns did go uh, bankrupt, or cities, uh, Stockton, I think, and San Bernardino, and maybe Mammoth Lakes, am and, I correct? So what, what happened there, Dan? What's that? So those uh, Stockton and San Bernardino and Mammoth Lakes, I think, went bankrupt, okay? Well, Mammoth Lakes was a special case. It didn't have anything to do with pensions. That had to do with a lawsuit and a developer and everything. Okay. No, the three cities I'm talking about are San Bernardino, Stockton, and Vallejo. Oh, Vallejo, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. You guys and, have... so all, and while pension benefits weren't the total reason for those bankruptcies, they were, they were contributors to it. Uh, those bankruptcy. There's a lot of fig- financial mismanagement in those cities as well. Uh, but uh, the, 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 a lot of the debts were basically pension debts. I mean, in fact, because in the case of Stockton, for example, the largest single debt that they owed in bankruptcy was a pension payment bond. So, so what, what's been going on? Oh, I didn't know that. One of the reasons this thing has manifested itself is that cities and counties, some of them, have taken out what they call pension pension Obli- bonds. Yeah, pension obligation they bonds. They borrow yeah. the money to pay their pension costs going forward on the theory that that they can save more by 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 front-loading their payments to the pension system than, than they can make on the money. Uh, that, that, that will save them more money than the bond will, will cost. And it's kind of a gamble, basically. The gambling, it's arbitrage is what it is. And they gamble on arbitrage, and some of them have got caught with their pants down when they've tried to do this. Uh, it's uh, it's very dangerous to borrow money to pay your pension debts because it doesn't really get you out of debt. It just it just transfers it over to a new form of debt. Yeah, and and that's you know again, Dan. This is you know I think any common sense any anyone who realizes that they put too much debt on their balance sheet, whether it be individual. A family or a small business. If you keep putting more and more debt on, onto anything, um, it ends up being a problem. And um, you know, I'm very familiar with pension obligation bonds. And essentially, it's like taking a second or third mortgage on a pension to uh, to pay off, you know, a future payment. And um, it's it, in fact, the state of California is now doing it. The state decided to they their pension bill for the state state government is about six billion dollars a year. Yeah. They're going to borrow $6 billion to pay forward, pay their pension costs forward 
to reduce their unfunded liability and therefore hope to pay. Now, they're not issuing a bond. What they're doing is they're going to borrow money from a, a state fund and give it to the pension system and then pay back the money to the state to the state fund, a special state fund, over time. So they're not issuing a bond to private lenders. They're, they're self-financing their loan, essentially. But they're basically making the same bet that the cost of the loan, they'll have to pay interest on the loan, will be less than it would cost to continue making payments to CalPERS uh, incrementally. It's a, so it's a pension bond by a different name, but it's the same thing. Well, that, you know, Dan, well, I'm so glad we had you on because you know something, Dan, I, and I follow this up pretty quickly. Pretty uh, aggressively, and I was thank you. I, I I was totally unaware of this, and this is I give a great example. GE General Electric. We were talking about earlier in the show. Just did the same thing this year, you know, which is which is a which, which is a mess. Um, um, so GE borrowed six billion dollars this year to fund their future pension liability, but the stock's lost fifty three percent of its value in the past um, year. Um, this is not, yeah, I mean, that's, th- the, this that's is, the chance you take. I mean, I worked for many years for McClatchy Newspapers okay. the last year, and I get a pension from McClatchy Newspapers uh, to, find, to fund their pension obligations. They have begun doing things like shifting company property into the ownership of the pension fund. So, uh, so the uh, headquarters of the Fresno Bee one of the McClatchy newspapers, for example, is now owned by the McClatchy pension system, and McClatchy is paying rent to the pension system for its own building. <laughs> it's it, it's it, these numbers just uh, boggle my mind uh, because it, it, it's it's all about the debt. And by, by the way, uh, you so you used to work for the McClatchy. Um, um, I worked for McClatchy for 33 years. In fact, I collect a pension from McClatchy right now. Well, actually, Dan, I'll have, when we get offline, I'll have to give me. You have to give me your address because um, I've actually researched it. With actually, McClatchy has actually been buying uh, group annuities to to offload the pension risks. Um, and the problem is, there's no insurance company big enough to handle someone like uh, Calpers or Calsters. But actually, that's what McClatchy is doing now. So, uh, and they did the, did that this year. So, uh, I'd be happy to share that research. Uh, some of my research with you. So. Um, uh, so one of the things we recommend is using annuities from uh, life insurance companies. But McClatchy actually did buy one this year, and so did CBS and uh, the New York Times and a bunch of other papers. But um, so but one of the things, okay, so so Dan, covering this beef for this many years, are people really um, aware in California how bad this problem really is from a financial point of view? I think I think that. Well, it's not for lack of coverage in the news media, certainly. Uh, everybody has written about these pension problems uh, uh, extensively. Uh, my, my current em- employer, uh, CalMatters.org, has done a number of lengthy articles about pension uh, issues uh, and w- involving schools, involving what I wrote one myself, a long piece, oh, I guess it was early this year, uh, about how cities, are getting hit because cities get hit the hardest on this pension business. Okay. They have they 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 devote so much of their budgets to personnel costs number one and their high pension high cost policemen and firemen number two. So the cities are the ones that are getting hit the hardest on this pension situation in California. 
and I wrote a long article about what cities are doing to cope with this, how they're how they're trying to manage it. Some of a lot of them are just simply raising taxes, uh, asking their voters to raise taxes. But when they do so, they're not telling them that it's a pension for pension reasons. Right now, on the ballot in Sacramento, for example, there's a city ballot measure to renew a half cent sales tax and then raise it to a whole cent. And they're promising all sorts of things that they're going to do with this wonderful new money. But if you do the arithmetic, it's very obvious that all of that additional tax money is going to be soaked up by their additional uh, uh, payments to CalPERS. In fact, it's right there in the documents that the CalPERS proposed. They put they they do these projections. They tell these people how much they're going to be how much they're paying now and how much they're going to have to pay in the future. And if you do that arithmetic, you find out that all that new tax money is going to go right into the pension fund. And probably none of those things that the mayor and the other officials are are uh, touting as going to be the uh, be the results of this tax increase are going to occur because it's all going to be soaked up by pension. One of the things uh, which, if you and I had like McClatchy, say we work with McClatchy, who we used to work with, the maximum annuity you can fund for a uh, for a private employer uh, in 2018, Dan, is actually. Um, Two hundred twenty thousand dollars. Okay, I actually checked that this morning. Okay, and that's so that's the amount of life annuity you can fund uh, for a private employer. But when it comes to to the states, they're exempt from ERISA, Dan, and that rule book kind of gets thrown out the window. For instance, um, I don't know if you've ever seen OpenTheBooks.org.com, but um, uh, we've had Andy, Adam Andrzejewski on the show. But Michael, uh, for instance, Michael Johnson, who retired from the County of Solano. I don't know where Solano is. Okay, he retired in 2011. Solano is just uh, between San Francisco and Sacramento. Okay. Well, one of the Michael Johnson who worked for Solano, he retired with a lifetime annuity of 390 grand a year. Dan, uh, another mm-hmm. guy. Not not uncommon in California. Another guy, Steve <laughs> McGuinn. Pensions okay. are based on are based on uh, average a percentage of your of your final salary, basically, and whatever that final. And a lot of time there's those final salaries are spiked. There's ways of spiking those final year salaries so it results in a higher pension. This is this is you know this is crazy because I know I I can back out the numbers on this stuff, Dan. And uh, my sidekick Will Pierce I think has a question about you because it, it's it's all, these California pensions are almost double what you could do in the private industry. Yeah, not about you, but, but, but before you. Um, so uh, you, you spike your pension by maybe working overtime. Uh, in your last couple of years, or is, is that's one way to do it? All right, can you hear me? Yeah, that's one way. Now, that's one of the things that the uh, this pension reform thing that was passed by the legislature and the governor a few years ago is supposed to curb pension spiking. But uh, these lawsuits that are now pending before the state Supreme Court uh, basically stem from a uh, firefighter union saying, we have a legal right to spike our pensions, and how dare you do that? And that's why those cases are in court now. I see. Uh, um, so, Calpers and Calsters are, are run by um, uh, the they're run by the government. They're unlike the Wall Street funds, uh, Vanguard or, or something like that, which are run by uh, private individuals and who who take some risks, obviously, with uh, the people's money. Now, so so the um, these are public entities, and how are they? How are they influenced by uh, the folks uh, in in in, in um, Sacramento? I guess you're state capital. Uh, how would how well, would they? The, politi- the boards, the uh, the 
boards are actually uh, the, the board of the of the teachers' pension fund is well, both of them actually are made up of appointees by the governor and people who are elected by uh, the employees themselves to serve on the board. In fact, the elections for slots on the CalPERS board are like a political election. I mean, they have campaign managers and campaign funds and everything else, but it's a very powerful position, obviously. But does it do you earn a lot? Basically, the CalPERS board is basically dominated by employee representatives, which means basically union representatives. Okay. Uh, and uh, the, the Cal Sturs board is a little bit differently constituted uh, because it has a, it operates under somewhat different rules than CalPERS. But these employee organizations basically dominate CalPERS, and uh, is obviously one of the problems of governance is that they the, the people who benefit from the system are the ones who are running the system. And there's so the question is who's watching the, who's watching who's watching the people who's watching the overseers, and the answer is pretty much nobody. Uh, they can do pretty much what they want to do. They are constitutionally uh, separate from state government itself, and they can pretty much do what they want to do. And so, uh, so, so they can, can they direct? Clearly, they have made some really boneheaded decisions. Not only investment decisions that didn't pay off, but decisions having to do with, uh, for example, back in 1999, the state legislature and the governor at the time, Gray Davis provided a 50% increase in state pensions retroactively. Retroactively. <laughs> retroactively, and uh, with no money to pay for them, on the assurances from CalPERS that they were making so much money in the stock market that they, taxpayers, it would cost the taxpayers nothing. Well, that, that provided the political cover for the governor and the legislature, but it turned out to be absolutely untrue. They took a big beating, as a matter of fact, on their investments a few years later, and that's why the contribution rates are being jacked up now is to pay for, in part, to pay for those retroactive pension benefits uh, that the the state granted. Now, that was only for state employees, but what happened then, once state employees got these retroactive benefits, then cities and counties and other public entities came under pressure from their unions to match what the state was doing, and virtually all of them did so. And that's one of the reasons why the pension system in California is uh, under underfunded. Now, I have another question for you. Excuse me, Dan. Excuse me one second. Um, but one of the things, and I've been researching, I've written a number of books on this stuff, and um, uh, but one of the, the things which hit me is that these public pension Funds and I'll and I'll name names because I get it all from the Calpers and Calsters uh, uh, websites. Is that these public pension funds, which are gigantic? Was what, what is Calpers now? Three hundred sixty billion, I think. Calsters like something like that, yeah. And Calpers, uh, Calsters is like two hundred ninety billion. They're huge. That they are. It is like the ultimate uh, uh, example of uh, uh, public uh, financing uh, funding private greed. And what do I mean by that? Is that um, if you go on uh, Calpers, and no one, don't take my word for it, but check for themselves, do you have these major private equity firms totally in bed with Calpers? You got a, you got, you got a, 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 matter of fact, 
CalPERS actually owned 10% of Apollo Global Management. They owned 10% of the Carlisle Group. They owned, I think they owned 10% of Silver Lake. And, and I think they also owned 10% of UKPA. I mean, this yep. is this is this is crazy. Matter of fact, if you go on Apollo's, if you go on the listed company of Apollo Global Management, you'll see the Calpers is still one of the largest shareholders of uh, the the private equity firm. Do people realize how incestuous this is? I don't think that that's generally known in the public. Uh, it's a very complicated. That's a complicated subject, and uh, and they've been burned badly by by the investing in public uh, and in private equity over time, uh, and they're kind of backing away from it a little bit now. And they're also lowering their discount rate uh, to reflect a more conservative, I guess you'd say, investment strategy, because they got burned so badly back during the recession uh, that they, they're kind of shrinking back now. They're slowly lowering their discount rate. They're slowly adopting a more conservative uh, investment strategy a safer investment strategy. Yeah. And uh, so they're kind of backing off of it. Have they backed off far enough? Probably not. I mean, they're still, they still have a 7% discount rate, which is probably two points at least uh, too high. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, but yeah. they, but they, they, they can, they do that basically to, because if they were to lower their discount rate down to probably a more reasonable level, like 5%, their unfunded liabilities would skyrocket, as you know. Yeah, and so they don't, they don't, they don't want to do that. Uh, however, it's interesting that the Federal Reserve System, just within the last few days, in its quarterly report on balance sheets of state and local governments, have started using a lower discount rate to to calculate the unfunded liabilities and pension systems around the country. I don't know if you knew that or not. No, I, I didn't. So, so it kinda, it's kind of catching up with them a little bit. And, and as it catches up with them, they're kind of being forced to lower their discount rates into a, to a more realistic uh, nature. If they would drop that discount rate down to 5%, yeah. they would probably be no more than 50% funded, if truth be known. They'd have a 50% unfunded liability. Well— yeah, because I've researched this, Dan, because um, uh, there's an academic report, and I can forward it to you, um, uh, which is done is that actually probably the best public-funded pension system in the world is in the Netherlands, if, if you can believe it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with it. Uh, you're familiar with that study. And they're pretty brutal about it over there. They, if they, get, they have to maintain uh, a, a full funding level, and, and they're willing to even cut benefits necessary if necessary to do it. So you're familiar with that study. So, yeah, so these yeah. pension funds abroad, uh, in the Netherlands in particular, which is probably the best-run one in the world, they're using a discount rate, Dan, of 3.5%. Yeah, that's <laughs> a very conservative rate. Uh, I mean, I'd be comfortable with 5 or something. I think most corporate corporation, yeah. corporate plans use something like 4 these days. I haven't checked it recently, but around 4 but clearly, seven percent is is not accurate. There's a a group of uh, over at Stanford University has been uh, doing these studies of the pension funds in California for several years now. Yeah, and uh, they they've harped on this subject quite a bit that the discount rate that's used is too high, that it's un- unrealistic, and makes things look better. Even though they look kind of bad, they still look better than they would if they applied a more uh, realistic discount rate 
Yeah, so if they used a real discount rate, those unfunded liabilities would, would go through the roof. And so that's. They go through the roof. That's right. You know, they so, go through the roof, and nobody would know how to deal with them. So they're, they, what goes, what's going on now in CalPERS, uh, CalSTRS is a different situation because the state legislature sets their contribution rates and so forth, unlike CalPERS, which has the authority to set their own. But what's going on in CalPERS right now is they're trying, they're kind of like the Federal Reserve System, where the Federal Reserve System is trying to edge up interest rates without creating shock to the system. Well, CalPERS is trying to edge up contribution rates from public employers in California, but not so much that they would drive them into bankruptcy. So it's a kind of a balancing act. And uh, I don't know that they can succeed or not. But by lowering their discount rate, that, that obviously puts pressure on to raise contributions more uh, and also to make up for their losses in the market. So they're, they're kind of they're edging up these, these contribution rates faster than revenues are growing for these local governments, but they hope that it's not so fast that it's going to drive into bankruptcy. And, but in response, a lot of these local governments, as I said before, are actually asking their taxpayers for more money. Because in California, cities and counties cannot raise taxes on their own. They have to get permission of voters to do that. So they're putting sales tax measures and parcel tax measures on the ballot to uh, raise more money. But they're always saying, oh, this is just to have a better level of police protection or more fire protection or more parks or something like that. But it's basically all money going into the pension fund, and that's what's going on. That's going on. And what what it amazes me, uh, Dan, since 2006, and University of uh, 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 Maryland um, did a, a study on this, and uh, it's a great study, um, how these pension funds and CalPERS, again, I hate to pick on CalPERS, but they're just the, they're the uh, best. It's the biggie. Everybody they're the biggie, so you have to look at them, is that the, the, the migration from safe, uh, you know, Safer funds, um, you know, bonds, and that type of thing, has gone from six percent of uh, pension contributions in 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 two thousand six, or six or seven percent, Dan, to roughly that that alternatives, and I'm talking about private equity, hedge funds, real estate, commodities funds, has gone to like twenty six percent. So to catch up, they're actually piling on more risk, and I just yeah, kind of give well, it. And they were piling on more risk, but I'm just saying that very recently. They've begun to pull back from that a little bit. Yes. By lowering their discount rate and adopting a little more uh, conservative investment philosophy, they're starting to pull back from that. Just it's just starting, but they are they are they've kind of gotten the message in a way, and 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 the and they and they've been pushed very hard by the current governor Jerry Brown to to do that to be more conservative and more realistic in their in their in their stuff. So. I'm not saying they've found, you know, they've gotten religion exactly, but they have kind of pulled back a little bit uh, from that. And this all really basically stems from some changes that were made in state law back in the 1980s. That uh, in 1980s and 1990s, that number one, uh, eliminated a lot of the restrictions on what they could invest in. Yep. They were restricted to very conservative investments once yep. upon a time. And the unions wanted more benefits. So they pushed very hard to remove the restrictions on investments so they could make riskier, potentially higher uh, returning investments. And number two, to change the way governance of CalPERS to give the unions 
more authority over the Calipers board. And, and the disaster that, that befell them later was a result, basically, of those two changes going on back in the 80s and 90s. It just took time for them to actually take place, but that's really what happened. Uh, you know, Dan, I don't know if you ever seen the movie. You ever see the movie Chinatown? Uh, remember oh, sure. what, yeah, oh, yeah, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. But um, I think sometimes the, the California pension thing it makes Chinatown, which was about the water as resources, the whole pension problem, it makes Chinatown look like a game of a tic tac. It so, is, but I, I, take, I take a little comfort in the fact that there are a lot of places that are worse off than California, particularly Illinois. And so. Oh, yeah. It's, 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 yeah. So, uh, uh, I have, but I have another one question. Yeah, because. Now, are very many people. I've got to get going here pretty soon. So okay. Maybe so, let's make it quick. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah, but I had one question. Is, are people aware of, like, how Calistris funded, like, Cerberus Capital's, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, portfolio companies, how, how they end up buying the uh, the Freedom Group, which was essentially tied to the Sandy Hook um, uh, massacre back with 2014? No, uh, I, I, no I, there's very little attention paid to their investments in California. Is it? Once in a while, the legislature will get on get on the kick. You can't invest in this, or you can't invest in that. Uh, usually, some sort of foreign policy thing. They don't want you to put any money in Iran, or you know that sort of thing. But for the most part, uh, that happens out of the public eye. It's not that it's not can't be known. It's there. It's just that there's not very much uh, that you know. It's just it's it's just kind of so complicated, and so forth. It doesn't really merit usually the media attention. That it, maybe it should, you know, uh, but uh, they they've had their pressure to not invest in tobacco stocks or gun company stocks or this or that or the other, and sometimes they've gone along with it, sometimes they pulled back from it. It's it's basically a kind of a whatever the political circumstances are at the time and how much pressure they feel. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, because that that was just, it's very clear that you know that's how. The Freedom Group was funded, and actually, the irony of the whole thing is that actually they changed the name from Freedom Group, um, which was funded primarily by uh, Calsters, and then it, they changed it into Remington Arms, um, and they actually Remington Arms went bankrupt in April of this year. So, um, I, it's, yeah, I know. Well, I, you know, I know a bit about Texas. I'm a shooter myself. So okay, I know a little bit about all that. So. so, all right. So, but in any event, so. Um, you know, so I'm just saying is that this is where the, the you know, you just, I guess you, I'm not a reporter like you, but I guess you, if you follow the money, this is what you find. Yeah, I think, that, you know, they, 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 they're CalPERS investment managers, the professional investment managers, pretty much have free reign to do what they do. They're not under a lot of micromanagement from, from the board. And, uh, their their goal is to re, is to uh, you know increase their returns yeah. desperately desperately so that they don't have to stock the cities and the counties so hard so you know they'll do whatever they necessary they do yeah yeah and so my whole point is Dan is that a lot of these a lot of these folks become billionaires because of uh, the the pension uh, business sure. they do with, with calipers and calipers I, mean, I could make a whole argument about Apollo for example oh yeah. That the man who runs Apollo, uh, Mr. Black, has been involved in several uh, kind of questionable operations in California, having to do with the bankruptcy of an insurance company and all sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, I, I've written about that, and it's 
you know, it's complicated stuff, but uh, yeah, I'm familiar with it. I know, I know the, I know the drill. Yeah, so you know the drill. And and uh, and who are the two guys that were Buenos Trio and Billavos? Okay, what was that situation? Yeah, that was yeah, Mr. Billavos. Uh, there was a, a, a an agent for Apollo, who was a former board member, who was uh, charged with bribing a uh, the. The head of Calpers to give give Apollo more work, and the, finally got caught, and the one guy committed suicide, and you know it was a big deal. Well, but so, Apollo said we didn't know this was going on. <laughs> we didn't know about any of this, and so they the 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 Calpers never severed their relationship with Apollo over the thing. Yeah, and as a matter of fact, if you go on Yahoo for our listeners out there, uh, you'll still see that Calvers is actually one of the largest institutional shareholders of uh, of uh, Apollo Global Management. It's just uh, I've written about Leon Black and Apollo and the state of California and all of the deals that have been made on many occasions. Yeah, like so, the worst case, that didn't have anything to do with Calpers. It had to do with the state insurance commissioner and the and the seizure of a major insurance company. Which had a portfolio of junk bonds that Mr. Black profited about a billion dollars off of marketing for the state insurance commissioner. I I was so unaware of that. Stories. Dan, who? Huh? We'll have to talk about this. I was unaware of that. I but I do know what Paul owns. It happened of, about twenty five years ago. Okay. Yeah. And but, it's right after Black left the uh, uh, Milken shop down in Southern California, what? and he he persuaded the uh, he persuaded the State Insurance Commissioner at the time, a man by the name of Garamendi, who's now a congressman, by the way, <laughs> to seize Executive Life Insurance Company you know, and its uh, portfolio of junk bonds, and then uh, Black marketed them for the for the Insurance Commissioner, and and made about a billion dollars for his own. It's how he founded his whole operation was with that billion dollars he made off that seizure, well, and. Uh, it turned out to be a big international scandal because it turned out the buyers of the junk bonds were a French government bank, secretly. <laughs> I mean, it was... I can't even begin to describe how complicated this thing is. Oh, and now... Yeah, there's history here. And but not only that, Dan, is now... We'll have to talk about this another time. Is uh, Apollo Global Management owns Athene, one of the largest life insurance and annuity carriers in the country. And yeah. um, as, as well as... Uh, Casinos in Las Vegas and a whole bunch of other. Yeah, stuff. yeah, they bankrupted those. So, Dan, thank you so much. We'll have so to have you on again. You know. Uh, right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye. This has been the Economic Warrior with your host Barry James Dyke, broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio, engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?